Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockman Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. Over the past year, I've converted my Bike Friday New World Tourist uh, from a flat bar bike to drop bars. I was really lucky. A buddy of mine gave me a Shimano 105 group set. Unfortunately, the front crank wasn't wide enough. It wasn't quite as wide as a mountain bike crank. So it kept hitting the the uh, the brakes. Uh, it'd go tick, tick, tick. And so I put the front cranks back on that used to be there, which are truvative cranks. And I put a new GXP bottom bracket in there. The problem I've run into now is the shifter and, and the front derailleur is still the uh, the original mountain style derailleur because uh, Bike Friday uses a pretty wide, um, I don't even know what you call it, Q-factor or something like that. And so the problem I'm running into is the Shimano 105 shifters use uh, an STI style shifter, which is like the on the drop bars doesn't actually push the derailleur enough to shift all the way into the top ring. So I'm trying to kind of figure that out. And I think the solution I've come to is either change the shifter to, to one of the few companies that make a, a, a STI style lever that has less, uh, sorry, that has more pull to it or put on a friction shifter at the bar end. Or alternatively, I think there's a company, from what I gather, that makes a front derailleur that works with an STI shifter, but uses mountain bike distancing somehow. So, I don't know. Try to figure all that out. So, if anybody out there has converted a bike, done a mullet conversion of any sort, but is using a uh, mishmash of road and mountain bike front derailleur options and shifter options... uh, do reach out. I would love to have some feedback because I'm kind of stumped and I don't want to go spend 50, 60, a hundred dollars or something on something I'm not sure is going to work. So yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, another interesting thing today, we went for a little bike ride. It was quite fun. I, I probably had one of the most expensive non-electric bikes ever pulling a chariot. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I put in a, uh, I bought a rear, axle for my my new build my true divider uh that i can hook up um the chariot to and so yeah i'm pulling this i don't know i'm pulling this really old chariot that i bought because i didn't want to buy a brand new one they're so expensive i'm pulling this old chariot with my you know super expensive titanium bike and 
But we had a blast. We we went through one little tiny trail. Baby cried and shook her. She wasn't expecting it, I think. Just around a few blocks and stuff with my wife and the baby. And we had a blast. It was nice. But she's really hesitant. Not the baby. My wife is really hesitant to let me take the baby riding anywhere further. She thinks I'm uh, not overly responsible and that I will ride well beyond the means of what a baby should go on. So I'm trying to comfort her with that, that uh, that I'm going to be reasonable. And uh, definitely we, before we go any further, uh, a field, then the the immediate neighborhood, we got to get her a helmet so that she's nice and cozy and safe inside her chair in the event that something untowards happens or dad goes down a big trail, which I'm not going to do. So, Uh, And the third thing that I can kind of mention is, Recently, I I rode the Almont Gravel Express. It's a it's a small bike packing loop I kind of put together over the last year and got out and rode it. And the only downside about the the loop is it goes through the Packenham Hydro Cut off Bellamy Road um, near Almont, uh, kind of well near Packenham actually. And part of the problem there is it's actually private property, so it goes through Hydro One property, and there's a sign there that says private property actually says hydro one property keep out but around that gate it's clear that many many four-wheelers and motorbikes and stuff have ridden around it so i thought i'm just gonna ride through it anyways and and then later on down the trail i realized that hydro one just rents access to the the strip of land where they have their towers but it's actually private property belonging to you know private persons and part of the reason so i I actually ran across a couple guys cutting trees and they told me who to reach out to to talk to who owns the property and what i learned from this guy and this guy was super super kind he actually called me back i left a message on his phone he called me back and and we had a discussion about the property and i said i know atvs and stuff are using the trail uh the 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 hydro line road Sorry about that. I had uh, got distracted by my dog, so I paused it. Um, but what I was saying was I I realized that this... Uh, so I contacted the phone number of the guy who owns the property, and we had a really good discussion. And, you know, his biggest concern was liability. And he says that's why there are signs that say private property, no trespassing. And, you know, we had a discussion about the the feasibility of having it as, you know, it is private property, but with the intention and the knowledge that anybody who's accessing it is... Um, aware that it's private property and, and that, you know, gives him credible liability coverage in case somebody does trespass and then gets hurt and tries to sue him. But obviously it's difficult for him because he can't go and outright say, yeah, I give you permission to use it because there's private property signs. And if he, you know, verbalizes that there's permission, basically he's taking away his liability. So we had a little discussion about that. It was really interesting. Um, he says he, he used to be a cyclist when he was younger, so he totally gets it, and, and he wants to be as helpful as possible. And ultimately, he gave me a list of uh, some names and stuff, and he says, I'm not the only property owner up there, but you need to contact some of these other people. And, and one person in particular, he said, would be the trickiest to, to sell off on the idea of allowing us to, to cycle across the hydro cut and, uh, you know, so that express permission has been granted. I, I think... I mean, I'm going to reach out to these people, but I think it's a it's a daunting task. I don't think anybody's going to explicitly say, yeah, you have our permission or my permission, because then they would be, you know, forgoing their, 
you know, they'd, they'd be putting themselves li- in libel and at risk. So um, might have to be conversations done in person and just kind of reaffirming that it's private property, but any cyclists that are there of their own free will. And uh, if something happens that the owners are not going to be liable. So I'm working on that. And, and the guy said to me, he's like, why, why are you even doing this? He's like, nobody else asks. They just ride it. And, you know, sometimes it pisses us off because in the middle of hunting season, they come off trail because they're worried about missing the big water pond area. There's this one flooded part, which has got to be 100 meters of water up to your waist. And he says, so they start beating through the bush and taking other trails and they, you know, scare the shit out of us when we're hunting and, and put themselves in considerable risk because, you know, you don't always, it's private property. Nobody should be there. And somebody's trespassing and it's middle of deer hunting season. You never know. Accidents do happen, you know? And, um, so he said he, he really appreciated the fact that I reached out and, and that I'm trying to, to address it instead of just being, you know, another person that, that, that crosses the property without permission, but actually trying to, to sort this out and for the, the greater biking community. But he says the, uh, you know, ultimately the, the biggest challenge is going to be liability issues. So, I don't know. We'll see. I'll keep on working on it, guys. Anyways, yeah, that's kind of three things that came to my mind before I record this interview. And of course, if you are not already a supporter through Patreon, it would be amazing if you went to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And if you could sign up for, you know, just a few bucks a month, I think it's as low as a dollar, as high as 10 bucks. And that just, you know, helps every dollar helps it really does i have dollar supporters i have five dollar supporters i have a ten dollar supporter but every every single dollar helps because over a year you know that's like 12 bucks and it's basically 12 dollars is like the url so just by supporting a dollar a month you you help cover the cost of the url and and then i just have everything else to worry about like tomorrow's 200 dollar bill for captivate which is my podcast hosting service yeah so Say la vie. Yeah. Anyways, if you do like the podcast and you appreciate it and you like all the work that I'm doing and uh, just head on over to patreon.com and uh, do that. Or alternatively, uh, if you're using Apple Podcasts, give me a review. It would be awesome. Share the podcast with your friends, family, grandparents, uh, children. Say, hey, kids, today we're going to listen to podcasts and uh, hate you for it, but whatever. No, they might love it. They might love it. They might listen to an episode with other kids and stuff and be like, we want to go bike touring. So. That's the hope. Other than that, on to the uh, the show, everyone. Welcome to the Bike Tour Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Chris Banaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you will be able to learn the ins and outs of bike touring and bike packing. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys, and through both mine and my guest experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike touring or bikepacking and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. If you're already an experienced bike tourer or bike packer, I hope that my guest stories allow you to relive some of your own experiences and give you a good laugh or two along the way. In the meantime, enjoy the show and keep on pedaling. In this episode of the Bike Tour Adventures podcast, I interviewed John about his experience touring and bikepacking with his dog Mira as they embark on their dog packing world tour. With the goal of dog packing across all six continents and taking on Antarctica by himself, 
John has been doing something truly remarkable. What better way to travel the world than with man's best friend? John, welcome to the Bike to Adventures podcast. Well, uh, I'm happy to be here. Awesome. And uh, so let's just yeah. ro- roll off with uh, you telling us about yourself. Sure. Um, well, uh, I, I don't know what to say, really, other than um, currently, I'm, uh, like I said, I'm on a, an extended uh, dog packing, bike packing uh, world tour with my dog, Mira. Yeah. Uh, I'm a middle-aged fellow from Canada. And uh, when I do work, which is uh, uh, rare these days, thankfully, uh, I work in two industries, one uh, as a alpine guide in Canada, so that's uh, uh, mountain safety work uh, uh-huh. in industry or with uh, recreationalists, uh, you know, climbing in high altitude mountains around the world or ice climbing or rock climbing. I do much less of that in the last uh, several years because I've been doing a bunch of rope access work. Okay. Uh, for those that don't know what that is, um, they might have seen people washing windows or maybe um, video of, of people working on wind turbines. There's lots of other uh, types of work. It's, it's, in fact, it's a huge uh, industry internationally, but um, it's, it's quite small here in Canada. Right. We often just do maintenance work or construction work or instrumentation inspection work. Uh, using um, a two-road system, people would know it as a climbing system to gain access to hard-to-reach places, or uh, in less time than it might take to build a scaffold, for example. So, yeah. I basically supervise a um, you know high, a well-trained, highly trained uh, group of guys that uh, and gals that, that do maintenance work up here. That's interesting because yep. you kind of forget about the fact that, you know, when you see people on high up on those things, that there's a real special skill that like just to safe for the safety aspects. And you kind of don't really think about that as an outside observer. Yeah. 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 It, it's, um, it's something you see, but, um, and like with lots of things in our life, you know, it's amazing what all the products that, uh, you know, that we use on a daily basis, um, what it takes to get them to market. People yeah. don't often think about that if they're not in those industries. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's really quite incredible. I mean, it's, uh, you know, everything from, from farming to uh, making clothes to uh, um, extracting the raw materials that people use to make a lot of those things. Um, you know, our bicycles, uh, you know, the raw materials, <laughs> yeah. they're, um, they're hard to get. So um, someone's got to, yeah. Um, and and you're from near the Peterborough area, right? Like I grew up in Trenton, so really not far away from there. Um, yeah, yeah, just, just, just south by a couple of hours. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I I was uh, born in Peterborough and um, really grew up in in uh, Bridge North, which is an even smaller. It's actually a little village okay. outside of the city. But uh, yeah, I went to high school in in, in Peterborough, and, and um, of course I got involved in cycling in that city. When I was quite young, and, and uh, yeah, canoeing, all those kind of things in the area. It was a great place to grow up. And we could be outside sure. and uh, roaming around in, in the wild and, and uh, get comfortable in those places. And, uh, yeah, but I've been, um, I guess I would have called Western Canada home base for the last 20 years or so. And uh, my father grew up in, in uh, British Columbia, so oh, okay. it, it always felt... Uh, um, home-ish it didn't feel like it was a, 
uh, it's a big country, so That's <laughs> it's true. easy for parts of our country to feel almost foreign. You know, like the cultures are, yeah, are a little yeah. bit different, and, and uh, the, the distances are vast. Yeah, and, and we often yeah, and we and we often people seem to think that you know Canadians are all kind of the same, but like when I travel across Canada, I realize how different British Columbia people are from Ontario, just in the way we interact and the way we socialize and just little things, you know, that you don't kind of expect and probably most uh, yeah. international people wouldn't recognize. Yeah, they might not unless they spend so much time, and that's probably the same in other countries as well. I mean, oh, even yeah. you know, um, you know, from the, you know, like in the Bow Valley, uh, around Canmore, Banff, Lake Louise area, uh, the the attitudes of people versus those in the eastern Kootenays, which is, which is um, the valley and range just on the other side of the Continental Divide okay. in, um, in the Rocky Mountains in Canada. And, and, and people on that side, you know, towards Invermere or Cranbrook, they're very relaxed, pretty chill. And uh, yeah, you, you'll pick it up. So it's um, it's cool to see those diversities, and that's one of the things that I enjoy traveling. Mm-hmm. You know, even you know, you know, throughout the states, of course, that's well documented in, in movies and television shows and news reports. The differences within yeah. uh, the United States, but that happens within Mexico. You know, the states of Mexico are very different one from another. Whether yeah. you're in, uh, in you know Baja, which is which is not heavily populated and and really rural. Um, you know, uh, and then when you take the ferry or fly into mainland Mexico, the language is, is uh, the same, basically, uh, but the the culture tends to be a little different for um, you know, the, the way they're living. And even from state to state, you'll see people wear different hats yeah. um, or you know, they're, they're raising different crops in the rural, you know. So, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see those differences amongst people, uh, even in the same country. It's, it's, uh, yeah. and, it's really interesting, and it, and it, it adds to the richness. And you speak Spanish then, I presume, right? I speak some Spanish, um, and I'm trying to speak more Spanish, so yeah. I, I can carry on a, a, a basic conversation with some fluency. Nice. Uh, both listening and, and, and speaking, but um, i got a long way to go before I would call myself fluent. Okay. And, um, prior, prior to this bog, uh, bog dog packing world tour, um, what kind of, what was your cycling journey like? How'd you yeah, do? it was sort of, uh, yeah, no, go ahead. You had a question there. Oh, I was just going to say, have you done much bike touring or, uh, and what other kinds of biking did you do? Yeah, I, um, it was actually in Peterborough. Um, it was, that had gotten me interested in cycling. The um, German club in in high school. Uh, I wasn't taking German, but they, um, a friend had heard that, and they done it year like every other year. The um, there was one uh, teacher that that took um, um, those courses, and every other year he would lead a cycling trip to Germany with oh, cool. some students, and so. Without even speaking to him, um, and he lived in the neighborhood that we were living in, um, uh, we saved up money and bought bicycles with the intent of going on this trip. And then the trip, for whatever reason, a uh, number of people or what have you, uh, was canceled. And so we thought, well, uh, we had these bikes, we just kept riding, and then uh, we thought we'd 
start racing and then got involved in a local club. And so, um, yeah, probably uh, 10 or 12 years of, of uh, road and track racing um, oh, yeah. throughout uh, the province and, and um, eastern United States. And uh, it got to the level where you know, I was uh, um, on the track, um, a provincial team member, and, uh, you know, was able to, you know, make uh, some monies here and there. And, and oh, nice. uh, but made a lot of great friends. And, and then sort of, I felt I sort of done what I thought I could do in the sport. And uh, I had gotten involved in climbing. Um, just after that, I was sort of looking for something else, and then that, that took me to uh, Western Canada. But then, you know, over time, I, I um, got back into mountain biking and just uh, recreationally, and, and um, I wanted to do some travel. And so, bike packing was a, a natural option to that. And yeah. in fact, I'm old enough that I saw the first commercially available mountain bike as they came into Canada. And I, I remember borrowing one from the shop just to test it out, um, one that was associated with the cycling club. And I thought that what we call as bike packing, I thought that's what they were for. But, uh, you know, that it wasn't really a, a, a common thing back then. Yeah, exactly. Um, most cyclists are, you know, most cyclists are, you know, a, a little bit off the mainstream often. But, um, you know, that was maybe too <laughs> too far. Uh, even for myself, and, and um, yeah, so so you know, it's like you know, people tend to think that they were for racing or fitness at the time, but you know, the, the touring aspect really wasn't brought to my attention until much later. And I did some some uh, bike tours. I did six months in New Zealand, both North and South Island, um, some years ago, and and. Um, and then I've been uh, through a lot of Spain and um, into the Rift Mountains of uh, Morocco. Okay. And uh, and then shortly after that, I, uh, I I didn't want to leave my dog behind anymore and, and just figured out a way to uh, uh, bring the dog along. Yeah, that's kind of the boat I'm in. I have a – what kind of dog is Mira, by the way? Yeah, Mira is a mixed-breed border collie. And um, Australian cattle dog or healer, oh, as it's okay. commonly known. Her mom was a was a, was a red healer, but you, you tend to see more blue healers. Um, and so, yeah, we're a working dog um, stock. It was actually from a, a, a mixed dairy ranch that uh, that I got her as a puppy from. Um, and so, yeah, lots of uh, she's you know, a physical dog, lots of energy, curious. Um, and, and attentive, so yeah, yeah, great breed for, for the kind of riding that I'm doing. But you know, all dogs like to get outside and smell the world and see things. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's if, part of if you like to adapt to their needs. You, you're you're going to have a great time. Yeah, part of the reason I wanted to do this show with you is because I have a blue healer, and like I I don't want to leave mm-hmm. her behind. I want to I want to bike tour. You know, I want to get out on some adventures. There'll be times where I can't take her, but I definitely want to involve her as much as I can. And of course, my wife's like, "Well, we can't fly somewhere with her," and I was like, "Yeah, you can. You know, that's it's not gonna, well, hopefully, not gonna kill her. It's, um, you know, she'll survive." <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, those are all kind of the questions that I asked when I first started because you know, there are people that have obviously been flying with their dogs um, for a very long time, whether mm-hmm. you know whether they're working dogs or 
or um, care dogs of some kind. And so, yeah, there is some information on the internet, and, and thankfully, both the United States and Canada provide um, uh, good information. It's easy for us to uh, to get that. And so, yeah, my first trip with a dog, um, other than driving in the United States or in, uh, across Canada, uh, was you know on climbing trips, for example, and, uh, yeah. and that seems you know pretty pretty low key and pretty natural. You know, the dog. You know, you're outside, you're in a mountainous area, and uh, the dog can either just run around or hangs out at the base of the cliff or, or um, on the trails. And, and so that's pretty straightforward. But on the, on the bike, it's a little bit different um, if you're traveling internationally and flying. Um, you just need to make sure that uh, you visit your vet. You, there'll be some research to do, but you'll, you'll visit your, your vet and uh, get a, a health checkup. And in Canada, we go in with um, health paperwork already printed out. Right. Um, sometimes in, in multiple languages, and these are, are government forms for uh, food inspection agency, and they also uh, supervise um, uh, livestock and and, oh, okay. uh, and personal animal, animals. Is, is well. this a thing that people so call like a dog is, passport? Is that or pet passport? Is that kind of the thing? Or yeah. So they're not exactly. So in Europe, they actually do exist. They're basically oh, okay. vaccination passports and, and travel passports. Um, but we're not quite as organized um, for that here in Canada. And, and honestly, because when you travel across the border into the United States and by land, even into Mexico, no one looks at your documentation. So it's not really all that necessary. Although I would recommend that people have Something like at least a you know a proof of vaccination and, right. and health checkup. Um, but yeah, so this document is basically that though it it, it, it will document uh, vaccinations that are required by the country you're entering into and or the, the vaccination country you're leaving. Um, and once you have the health checkup and verification of those vaccinations. And, you know, some need to be done in advance of your travel so that they can become effective. I mean, we're now, many of us consider we're vaccination experts in some way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and of course we're not. But, um, yeah, so basically then you take this form that's been um, verified by your, um, by your veterinarian. And then in Canada, at least, we visit the CFIA, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. Oh, yeah. And their vet on on staff at the, at the time you go in will read the document and uh, verify and then and, um, stamp it with a, with a government seal. And they provide you with copies. And you need those to travel through the airports. So they okay. get attached to the crate um, that you would put the dog in and, and you, you know, keep one. And then, um, so, yeah, both entry and exit returns, you need those in and uh, on an article that I wrote for bikepacking.com, there's a link in there for um, both uh, Canada and the U.S. and also the European um, information website that can help people navigate uh, all that beautiful. information. Yeah, I have actually looked through that article. I just um, perused it. I read parts of it, but uh, yeah, I'll have to check that out again. Um, so yeah, guess, so it, it, okay. it was a little long-winded, maybe. There's a lot to know. Um, and lots more you can Lots more that's not in there too. Yeah. On that note of traveling, so how long is the documents typically good for? And do you need to go to a new vet every time you're going to go into a new country? Um, 
Off the top of my head, I, I, I don't recall, um, but I, I know that I have been able to, um, well, it would depend on the country you're entering in. Yeah, um, so, so island of nations uh, are a little bit different again. They will have a much more uh, restrictive policy on entering the animal. Okay. So, you know, the, the UK, for example, uh, there's some medications that need to be um, within um, some of days or hours before you uh, fly that need to be administered. Um, and so the document then would not be maybe as valid for as long. Okay, gotcha. But um, typically it's a couple of weeks. But then the government will uh, honor these documents or, or receive them positively when you're moving around and also the return back to Canada. I've, I've spent um, a little over six months in Europe with a dog and returned back to Canada with my documentation. And, uh, there was there was no issue. I didn't uh, visit a vet on the way um, traveling back to Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but recently, uh, the ferry that I took from Baja to mainland Mexico, uh, they wanted, um, at least I was told they wanted um, health documentation from a vet, uh, but no one actually looked at it. Um, oh, okay. So that does happen. That does happen, but it was to happen the other way around where you didn't have the, the documentation and you were asked for it, then you might be refused and likely would be refused entry yeah. you know, into an aircraft or a country or whatnot. So, um, and then, yeah, entering through the land borders, um, you know, Guatemala or into Costa Rica, um, for example, then um, each, each country is going to have its own requirement standards. So I might need to visit a vet um, prior to it. But it means, you know, I need to make sure that her vaccination is up to date. Um, of course, that I you know want to make sure that she's healthy and resistant to to um, parasites and diseases, and mm-hmm. and um, and then so there's some medications that uh, some oral medications that she takes just for preventative you know, parasites and and um, and bugs, you know, heartworm and, and uh, flea tick kind of stuff. Okay, and there'll be some maybe some more things along the way. Sweet. Uh, what made you decide to do this world a world tour with a dog? I mean, that's a pretty daunting, uh, grand, you know, vision. Um, as opposed to some of your previous trips, I know you had a melancholy before, and you did some trips to Spain. Yeah. Um, but like deciding to do a world tour is huge. Um, how did this come about? Yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, for, for work and for pleasure, uh, and someone that travels um, um, a great deal, and and so. Uh, that part, I mean, just the, the interest of different cultures, that always uh, appeals to me. But a, a lot of these things, they just sort of, they started with a small kernel of an idea, and then they grow. Yeah. And, um, you know, you can imagine, the, oh, I, I, I want to take a, a bike tour, um, you know, to anywhere. And there's so many things that you, so many places you don't get to see along the way. And uh, and that's sort of, sort of how it grew. And, and I, you know, I look at you know, uh, of course, other people's uh, blogs or websites or videos and what have you, like a lot of us do these days. And mm-hmm. and you know, most people they kind of stay, you know, between you know, sort of a, a, a distance north and a distance south. But it's you're, they're basically paralleling the equator. And I just you know, for the, and then there are of course these trips that people ride from, say, Alaska to the tip of uh, South America. Yeah. Um, but I just, 
felt like I wanted to continue that on. And, um, you know, it's sort of a, a challenge. I, I do best personally in my life if I have um, sort of a, a, an all-encompassing or at least something that I can sink my teeth into challenge. Okay. Whether that's in, in climbing um, or, or cycling or, or other things. Um, usually something outdoors and something uh, physical. That's where I'm happiest. And so this just sort of evolved um, into this uh, this goal of riding all seven, seven continents. And and you just take it step by step. That's the other thing. I yeah. mean, um, you know, it, at first it seems like a, a big thing, and then of course you you like for example, I'm you know I'm continuing to learn Spanish, and and um, there's a chance that I'll learn another language on on this trip as well so skills like that um you know working on a bike or or um navigating different bureaucracies and as uh, someone who's worked in the outdoor industry for for um several years now um a lot of the skill set that i would require for um travel to antarctica or other mountainous and very remote places um a lot of the skills I have and then the other thing is just identifying the skills and there are a, a number of them that I don't have um, and just uh, acquiring those skills you know at least to a level that, that keeps me um, you know keeps me safe yeah. and um, and that sort of step by step approach identifying uh, you know where the, where the hazard is or the, or the, the gap in my skill set and uh, and dealing with it is uh, how I get through um, all this stuff. And so, yeah, I think when I'm done, it'll feel like it's a big thing, but currently it's just uh, it's just how I live. You know, for example, I, I've left Mexico and I've flown uh, here to, to northern Canada to, um, to do some work for a little bit to help pay for this trip. And, you know, and it's, it's a time of year where um, a bunch of large projects are underway, so it's, it's easy to get work. In the industry I'm in, I can work for a while and then not work for a, a large period yeah. of time. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean that's just the just these steps that I do along the way to, to, uh, to make this happen. You know? And um, unfortunately, I was very fortunate that I was um, in a in a really nice city in Mexico, uh, and someone that I've met along the way traveling south uh, was able to stay. And, uh, and give good care to um, Europe because um, I probably wouldn't have come north if, had I been required to travel with her if I couldn't find a spot to, right. to, where I felt very safe meeting her. Uh, you know, then I, then I wouldn't have come north if, you know, to, to fly up just for you know um, a few weeks of, of work and then put her in boarding here and you know the travel related stresses and costs. I, I, I probably wouldn't have done that. But yeah, it worked out well. So, so generally, I guess you started your trip up in um, Alberta or British Columbia, that area in the west of Canada, and you cycled kind of, did you do the Great Divide mountain bike route as you were heading south? Was that kind of the general direction? Uh, not not this time, no. no. Um, yeah, so this time I basically left out my front door uh, from Canmore and uh, rode south to the, to the U.S. border following, I guess at that point following um, mostly the, the Great Divide route. Okay. Um, also part of the uh, BC Epic 1000. I mean, there's so many published bikepacking routes now. Yeah. If you can use them as a, 
as sort of the foundation of the rights that we follow and link them together, which is which is great. Although I'm getting into parts of the world where less and less of that exists, and we can find our own way, which is which is even more fun. Um, but this time down south, I've, I've ridden the Great Divide route as far as um, Steamboat Springs, Colorado, okay. um, with a good friend Ryan Van Duzer. Um, he and I rode from Montana. Um, down into Colorado, his home state, and then um, he continued on, and I rode back to Canada. That was in 2020, and then um, this year I followed the Western Wildlands route mostly. Oh, okay. Uh, nice. With the yeah, yeah, and it's it's um, you know it's a it's a much quieter route. Uh, you know, you don't go into the towns and villages quite as often, so resupply, and then um, and then people don't race it. So it's not publicized as much, which is also kind of nice. Uh, so you rarely see track. Although it was a joy riding the West Sea um, Great Divide because of all the people that you meet along the way that mm-hmm. are now um, looking forward to or in fact rely upon for income the, the riders coming through, and, and that was nice. Uh, but then this was nice in that, uh, you know, goes through parts of Idaho, which are, are spectacular. Um, you know, just north of the Salmon River. And then um, uh, in Utah, there's a sort of a, a, a variation that takes you uh, east of Salt Lake City, um, like Park City, uh, over towards uh, Moab. And then um, you go through so many of these national monuments and national parks. Uh, it's just amazing because you're just oh, crossing the really cool. Colorado River multiple times. Yeah, I mean, all the places that you would look on, you know, with San Rafael Swell and Escalante and and um, and and, and um, you know all these, you know, the, the arches and, and canyon lands. I mean, there's just so many <laughs> any of the places that you would you would think to go visit. Um, you know, Zion um, National Park, and then I mean, went down to um, St. George, where uh, Ryan actually uh, flew in to survive with us for a bit more than a week, and we rode from St. George. And then we, the route actually goes through a section that requires permitting um, onto Navajo land, oh, okay. overlooking the Colorado River Canyon. And um, and that was a real treat, actually. Um, and just because it's so empty. And... Yeah. Uh, and beautiful. And then, um, yeah, from Flagstaff on down into eventually visiting a friend in, in Tucson for a little while. And roads um, west, um, quite close to the border towards uh, California. And then uh, down the, the Baja Divide again. So that's nearest nearest third time riding it south. Oh, is it really a third? Um, I thought my, I thought it was second, but yeah, that's wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so um, what? Yeah, and then oh, go ahead, sorry. Next no, I was going to ask, what kind of bike are you using for this? I know you have a you had a bike, um, uh, custom built titanium bike, I believe, but I'm not too sure of the details. Yeah, that's right. Um, yes, I, I had originally been riding a salsa Blackboro, which uh, is no longer produced, unfortunately. I think. Um, Manufacturing consolidation, where lots of industries and cycling in particular um, meant that salsa didn't feel that it was a, a bike that they would produce anymore. Um, which 
so if people want to get it, they can have to find, to find a used one. But um, yeah, it was uh, so. So basically, that is um, a, a mid-tail fat bike, so it's uh, about eight inches longer than a regular uh, mountain bike, and then the spacing uh, for the hubs, front and rear, allows for um, uh, a tire up to about oh, okay. five inches wide, which comes into other parts of my trip. So it was kind of ideal in that it had better balance when putting a basket on the back uh, and support for that basket because it has this rack that was built. Uh, and designed specifically for that bike in the mountain course. So yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's got a design. really long rack. Yeah. 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 Exactly. A very strong rack and um, you know strong mounting points. Um, and so I took that basic concept and contacted a, a couple of builders. Well, initially I was contacting. So I've been working with um, both Kenyon and the Gates. Uh, they've been kind enough to support this project. They make an amazing project. So the Pinion Drive is, a, is an internal gear system that is uh, centered around a unit uh, at the bottom bracket. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Gate produces uh, belts, in this case, uh, a carbon fiber uh, polyurethane, I believe, uh, loads the belt. It's extremely strong and durable, probably three mm-hmm. to five times more durable than a than a, a chain and it was mostly that that sort of moved me forward that the low maintenance and the the, the wide gear range of opinion systems um and also and its durability and then and low servicing and then also similar reasons for the um, the gates because i would go through like in the in 2019 and 2020 it was five or six chains and and um several uh, gear clusters in the back and, and yeah. multiple bottom brackets. Um, and that gets very expensive. And it's also harder and harder to find those things as I, I move away from in the U.S. And, um, and, and so, yeah, that was sort of the main thing. And then contacted a, a couple of builders, and I, I settled on uh, Carver, which is a company out of um, uh, Maine. And the bikes are produced in China. And that, that was all kind of an interesting experience. Um, you know, there's just there's there's three cultures there at play. You know, the the northeast of the United States is a different culture from from Canada, and then of course um, the Chinese. Although I don't didn't have direct communication with them, um, but now we've got a, a bike that um, uh, is meets my needs. You know, it's a, a bike that I can take near on. It, it handles very well on single track and and rugged terrain and it has uh, the capability to as does the, the pinion and gate system have the, been, uh, the ability to uh, handle wide tires so uh, I, I, typically I'm riding a three inch wide tire or something close to that mm-hmm. um, but yeah so I, I can I can travel on um, you know uh, cold snowy areas uh, or you know soft sandy areas yeah or, you know, basically, basically any terrain at all. Um, so yeah, and then um, yeah, with a uh, this time I have a suspension fork on the front. Uh, uh, Ren has provided a fork for us, and uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, a lot of great low maintenance equipment that um, makes a, makes for a pretty cool ride, actually. Yeah, that's really yeah. sweet. And what kind of are you using flat bars? I presume, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a flat carbon bar. Um, currently, that uh, yeah, little uh, bar ends, and, and so yeah, it's, it's comfortable. It's basically the riding position for comfort, but I can still, yeah. um, you know, manage uh, single track and and, and off road, uh, which is mostly where we ride. Um, but the, you know, the cockpit would feel just like anyone's mountain bike, honestly. It's just um, a little bit longer in the, in just, the back yeah. end. So let's talk, uh, let's get to the, the meat and potatoes. It's the dog packing uh, thing. What's your dog packing setup? I know previously you'd used trailers and um, you've tested out trailers and you've used baskets. Um, how did you settle on what you're using and what are some of the pros and cons uh, of what you're using? Yeah, the, the, um, in the past I'd used a, a Bob trailer and um, it mounts. Uh, at the rear axle of the bicycle, which I, I, I thought was the sort of the best spot to mount because it was low center of gravity. But recently, I've realized um, after um, an acquaintance, uh, Cass Gilbert, um, I was riding with him a little bit in Mexico, and he had a Farfair trailer which mounts on the seat post um, with an interesting coupling system. Very simple, actually. And uh, I've, ch- I've totally changed my opinion on that. Oh. New information has, uh, has, and so um, while I thought that the low center of gravity was important, um, the, the, the center of mass really is the, the person riding the bicycle, and so that mounting point allows for much sharper turns uh, and much less effect on the handling of the bike because the load, oh, okay. the dog, um, is not is not fixed. It, they shift around, of course, right? And then a lot of times they're not in the trailer. And so um, if I was to use a trailer again, that would be the one that I would choose. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're made in the United States and um, and they're comfortable for the dog and they have a slightly larger wheel, 20 inch, so it's easier to get tires and they oh, okay. bounce uh, much less. And that would, that would mean that the, the trailer works well for carrying your dog and for, for heavy dogs, I would say that the trailer, or if someone wants to put a lot of their equipment in the trailer, uh, I would recommend the trailer. And also, if you don't want to buy a custom bike, <laughs> yeah. it works with uh, basically every bike. Um, and so, yeah, we used the trailer for a long time. But the, the main reason for us uh, is that the overall length of the bike is longer with the trailer, of course. Um, the trailer handling when the dog's not in it um, is much worse because the trailer will bounce when it's unloaded, whether right. there's suspension in it or not. The requirements of the suspension change dramatically. In our case, it's 40 pounds, right? So, um, losing that 40 pounds really means that, um, uh, you know, the trailer is super light once it, once you take the dog out and it just, it just bounces along. Um, and then you're, you're managing a wheel size. Um, so, you know, tires or, or flats or any of that kind of stuff, um, is, is another thing. So, um, anyway, uh, that's why we chose to go to, to this, to the black borough initially. Um, but yeah, for most people, I think it's the way to go. And then, and then also if you're a couple, you can have, um, mount on both, uh, bikes that, uh, will allow you to switch yeah, the load true. from, one bicycle to the other bicycle so um, that that can be nice too and you could just go get your groceries when you're not on a uh on a bike tour
Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Canadian Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race and helped me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bikepack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. Yeah. They're super useful. Can can Um, you hook a basket on a normal... <clears throat> excuse me can you hook a basket on a normal rack like uh you know i have a normal mountain bike. yeah you, I, I could put a pretty hefty rack on there but it's not going to be as long as yours can a basket work on that as well is it functional it it can um here's the thing that that people might not uh, necessarily realize one is the the m5 bosses that hold the the rack so where, where the screws are that you mount the mm-hmm. rack to are very they're very small. It's the same thing that holds the water bottle cage in place. And a water bottle obviously weighs less than a dog, even when it's full, even if it's a large water bottle. Yeah. Um, and so there's just this the strength of that. So yes, you can get stronger racks and racks like Cold Mountain Mountain that use uh, a system that goes right into the, the rear axle is a, is a good place to start. But then um, the thing on the side of your dog, uh, supporting the basket, the basket that I use, and, and a lot of people ask you know, where I bought it, and, and, but if you can't support the bottom of it um, fully where the frame of the basket is, the, the edges of the basket, mm-hmm. um, it's just plastic. It'll, it'll eventually fail. It'll crack, and, and, um, and so it won't really give the support that you need. And then the other thing is that the handling, if your dog is, is the basket is hanging off the back of the the um, the rack, or if the dog's weight is such, and, I, and I'm just kind of estimating. I mean, something you know, something greater than 20 pounds, or even you know, 15 pounds, um, maybe might be enough to do this. But what happens is it it, um, it basically lifts the front of the bike a little bit, or or the front of the bike feels unloaded, unplanted, right. so you would need to make sure that that uh, most of if not all of your luggage is to the front and i think people have started to realize over years that the rider is heavy and so your bike uh, will handle better although slower turning um having the bulk of your weight up front um even off-road you know like people will put um you know fairly sizable panniers on the on the on the front or you know um dry bags on the fork. It just becomes a bit more yeah. tricky if you have a suspension fork. The mounting options are, are, are maybe not quite as robust. Or, but again, you know, even Old Man Mountain, they make a, a rack now for traditional, or I would say uh, for the more common um, style of suspension fork where the, where the frame of the fork is the lower legs as opposed to uh, the inverted style that, that I'm currently riding. Right. Um, so that's, that's the main thing is the handling of the bike is is, uh, is really affected and, and not in a good way. 
Um, but you can do it. I mean, that's the thing. Like, yeah, for me, I've decided that that handling, um, that loss of handling was enough of an issue that I'm, you know, riding a longer bike. But, uh, you know, for a, a weekend out, uh, of course, yeah, you can, as long as you're, you know, your dog is uh, happy and safe in the basket, the, the main thing there is is, uh, is doing a bit of just testing and training with your dog, but also patting the basket so they're comfortable mm-hmm. in there because, the, you know, hard edges of a basket wouldn't be something that, that any of us would want to ride ride in, you know, and if, if our cars just had metal seats, uh, <laughs> it wouldn't be the best ride. Um, but, yeah, you, you can do it. So, yeah, uh, if your budget allows, uh, trailers are a great option for most people. Um, and and if you want to keep it more nimble and compact, then a rack and a and some kind of basket or platform is a is a great way to go. And there's there's bunch, there's several examples of that on on the internet. Um, you know, people doing that. And um, I guess what I would say is just you know give it a go. It's, yeah, it's, it's just experiment. If, if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, that's okay. You can you can try something different. It's um, it's not really a failure. It's just uh, it's just learning, you know, yeah, along right. the way to, to sort of that. Right. Yeah, and I, mean, I think even when you go on these tours, you you have to change. You have to adjust your idea of how far you're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you can the dog, the, the extra food and water, and weight of the dog is going to change. Um, how far you're going to ride and the type of train you ride. Yeah, it's great advice. Um, what is, was it difficult to train Mira to jump in and out of the basket? She's about the size of my dog. So that's no, not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's not really. I mean, uh, so like she, she was a puppy when we started, but then she couldn't obviously jump in or out. So we had to lift her up and, and, and set her back down on the ground. But, um, Dogs, if you train your dog to jump on other things, like, you know, up onto a park bench or up onto a rock or a log or, um, you know, a picnic table, these kind of things, with whatever com- command you feel comfortable with, you know, I say up, up, and she'll mm-hmm. jump up. And sometimes now if we're out for a trail run, she'll jump onto items without me asking her to do it um, just because she Take thinks it's fun. <laughs> and, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, just exploring the world, and uh, so so then that then ties into just happens to be the basket, and uh, I do you know she can jump in without without any assistance from me, and she can jump out, but because she does it so many times a day, um, she she wears a harness, uh, and I use the leash just to give her a little lift to get up into the basket she doesn't have to jump uh, nearly as, as much force oh, okay and i and then uh crucially i soften the landing uh, back down on the ground because she might do it you know a hundred times or more depending on the train in, in, a, in a given day and you know week after week uh, month after month and of course year after year um you know that, that could, could damage her joints yeah it's harder on her paws um, and that's the other nice thing about a, a trailer is it's lower to the ground. And so a dog, some dogs can just step in and out or it's a, you know, a short, a short little pop up into the, into the trailer. Um, so, so yeah, it's just a matter of, uh, training that skill in, in, uh, other 
you know, novel uh, locations, and then it's super easy. Yeah. And if it's comfortable for them, they, she actually likes it. You know, she's looking around, she's taking, checking out the world. And uh, I can leave her in front of a shop if I go in to get some supplies. Uh, and she'll just take a nap in the basket. She's not looking to jump out. And so she, um, yeah, she's um, looking out for the bike. No, it's wild. And, and she's not strapped in the basket, right? I mean, like for my dog, I know at the start, I'd probably have to have a little harness leash there just to keep her in just because she might be a little bit nervous. But also that could be dangerous if you have an accident while riding, right? Yeah, exactly. We've, we've had some crashes, you know, on, on, um, you know, on snow or uh, on dirt. And um, if, if she can jump out or if... Um, I'm going very slow and, you know, come up against a rock or a, a boot or, a, a, you know, kind of a, a channel in the ground. The bike, you know, stops, comes to a stop uh, very abruptly um, at low speeds. And, and so, yeah, if she can jump clear, it's better for her. I would say that the difference would be with puppies. Uh, maybe in the initialized in, you know, spot when you're training, yeah. Um, you, you need to be careful. You wouldn't want them to attempt to jump out and then be hanging on the side of the bike, uh, you know, with spinning wheels and whatnot. Um, so, so what what I do is I have a, a runner's leash from a company called uh, Roughwear, and then uh, has some stretch to it. And then what happens is that, that stays on my waist, so I'm not my my hands are free to do whatever, operate a camera or the handlebars, and um, and then it's to the her back. Uh, with the harness and so with the elastic it stays uh you know doesn't get caught in in, in my seat or, or my wheel all right and, and since, then, so she can I was say, so, yeah since it's at your waist it's not catching your feet either as you pedal right so i guess it's just high enough that it's out of the way yeah that's it and there's lots of companies that uh, make um you know this type of leash Although I find that the the rockwear, while it's a, a little pricey, has the you know, the most durable clip, and, and they come in two lengths, and they're they're easy to uh, to work with. But um, yeah, anything like that, and you could probably even make your own if you just want to, would would work. Um, and then often she's not on leash, um, but those are typically in, in areas where you know it's um, trails and where she can run uh, safely. And then um, or if you know, if, I, if I'm not worried about um, you know, a mountainous back half of the day, you know, where I'm trying to save her energy, um, for that, she'll just run. She doesn't. She doesn't look at the map, um, and so I gotta take care of that. But yeah, I I would say not hooking them in into the basket is a, is a good way to go. But um, you know, each dog and, and each rider is going to be a little bit individual, yeah. and like I said before, just just experiment with it and sort of think it out. And, and as long as your dog and you are safe, um, then you'll be, you'll be fine. Yeah. And is, uh, is Mira's harness also a rough wear harness or is it a halfback? I guess it's a pulling harness, right? So a halfback or X-back or something like that? Uh, no, it's actually a, a company called Julius Canine. They're a European outfit. And okay. I've seen some um, off-brand knockoffs of it. You know how this happens these days at a popular product is made by others um <laughs> you know but um the, the reason why i chose that style is it just has one loop under the under her chest oh, okay. and um i i, I really really like the rockwear product we use as many as, as we can um it'd be nice if 
they they were a sponsor of ours, although they're not. Um, but they make you know a great product. Um, but the the harness that I had with her, which is one of the more popular ones, um, would rub the fur off just behind the uh, the uh, front legs. And um, but for most people, you know, they're not going to be riding uh, for months at a time, so it's less likely to happen. But that's that's why I chose I chose this this brand, um, and it's got a good handle on the back. But yeah, those sort of pulling harnesses, you know, for scissoring. Um, yeah. Uh, they might do the trick. It's just, um, it's nice if this is a mounting point, um, above the shoulders. Uh, if you're going to, if you're going to use a basket that you can, um, help lift them yeah. up or out of the, of the basket. That's, that's sort of the main thing that I, that I was looking for. Yeah. And um, I see, I, yeah, there's lots I of do options. see, uh, I do see that with, uh, with the pulling harnesses, they do make ones that are called half backs, which, uh, cause I've been looking at it really recently. And instead of the being the long yep. X back where the the loop is right at the tail almost, they're they're more at the you know the shoulders. Sure. Um, but I see I'm just looking at this yep. Julius K uh, nine pulling harness, and you know what's really nice too is it has it has hooks uh, or has rings on the sides as well, depending how the dog is running and stuff. Right, you can hook her on the side. I think. Yeah, and some of those side ones are great for uh, training applications. You have a dog that's pulling a little bit. Um, they're they're good in that, that main axial direction. You know, they want to pull forward. They can pull them to the side. They're not very strong. Um, so that, that might be one of the reasons for that. But I think we're using what they call the IBC um, harness. And, uh, yeah, and, and in fact, it's, it's offered a bit of it's the one we have needs replacement. Um, it's it's actually from Melon, the previous dog. So this harness is now about, uh, I think, seven years old. and um, But it's offered protection uh, to Mira, you know, from, from other dogs on, on a couple of occasions. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of like her little flak jacket. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting but, uh, looking harness. Yeah, any, any, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of padding. Uh, yeah, I would say that trying anything with you know to sort of that accomplishes what you need, which is mm-hmm. is uh, not hooking it around the neck, is is the main thing. Right? That's that's the that's the reason for the harness. Yeah, yeah, and but a lot of harnesses have that um, that let's say uh, chest um, bones, you know, padded strap that goes down between their legs. And I uh, noticed the Julius's ones don't really have that the way they're designed, but they have a a lot of cushion areas anyway. So it's cool. I'm going to check that out. Thanks yeah. for the uh, yeah, yeah. tip on that. Yeah. yeah, of course. Um, so yeah, you use uh you were saying you use a, uh, like a, a, a jogging lead or ones with the slight bungee in it. Um, do you also wear a, um, what do you call it? The, the joring belt or what do you wear? Where do you hook it? How do you hook it on your waist? No, the, 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 the rough wear leash is to just, um, instead of having a, a handle, although it's adjustable to make just a loop of a handle. Um, the actual leash just goes around your waist and uh, has a little fit. Oh, okay. they, they have one that's a, you know, like a, a, a fastback type buckle, like the, yeah. the plastic clip ones, or they have a, a metal one, I think, in, in, in one model. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like for me, I feel like, um, you know, a little bit less. Is, is just easier to deal with, you know. Too, I, you know, I do have a little um, bag for, 
most times I have, um, you know, I have the little connector for the tripod for my camera or, um, you know, money in there, lip balm, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And so adding another belt of some description, is, it just gets to be too much on the bike. Um, you know, so, so just keep it nice and, and streamlined and simple. And so it, it, it hits all those, it meets all those. Those, yeah, great, uh, great advice. Because so. I was trying to yeah. think of all these things recently too, and I'm like, oh, what am I gonna do? I don't even know. I, I'm I'm just spinning in circles, and there's so many options, but also yeah. trying not to spend money you don't need to spend is uh, is always a good thing. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, you know. Like that's the that is the interesting thing about um, going for a tour this long is how little I carry. Um, you know, beyond the dog. Um, which is a fair amount, um, and and some camera gear. I mean, you know, it's one pair of pants, it's one pair of underwear, it's a, you know, a, a, a change in, in cycling kit, and then some some uh, um, you know foul weather gear. Yeah, and then it's just you know camping and uh, you know, sleeping like shelter and and uh, and eating, <laughs> and that's it. And and um, you know, you, you, it's almost like it's a culture shock coming back into, into Canada because <laughs> it's an affluent country. People yeah. have a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and you know, they ask, like, how are you able to do this, you know, this kind of trip, this long trip? And it's, it's you know, really what it comes down to is that I, I haven't spent my money on things that I don't need. Yeah. Um, and need versus want is something that, that many of us, and, and I've suffered from that from time to time. And we, we don't understand the difference often. And, um, but, it, you know, I'm like with anyone, I, you know, I, I'd like to have um, quality items. You may you know, whether it's the, the clothing I choose or the, or the bike that I ride, it's, uh, it is nice to have that and then you can just buy it once instead of multiple yeah. times but honestly you know we're at, you know people live everywhere in the world and they need products and so i can you know i can buy products that i need um along the way for the most part yeah it's interesting i was recording a podcast this morning actually with uh with another guy who's been bike touring for several years now and i was saying you know i lived 15 years abroad and i lived out of two suitcases with two bike boxes that was my that was pretty much my life and now I've been back in Canada three years and we have so much stuff. Like I can just look around even in the utility yep. room and I'm like, wow, the stuff we've accumulated, it's unreal. It's like, yeah, it's just the way it is, I guess. Yeah. And it, <laughs> it's funny, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I, now it's, I just find it funny. Um, <laughs> people will look at the bike set up and they'll be like, oh, you have so much stuff. And then a couple of days later, someone will say, oh, you really don't have very much stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, and, and, and both of them are right. Um, depending on one way you set the level, but, but if you think about all the things that you have in a life, um, basically you know, people own a car, um, but you know, furniture, which, which we need, but it, you know, a lot of the things we need of course, but, but, um, to have a comfortable life and, you know, in, a, in an urban setting or even a, a more rural setting, but, if you tried to carry all that stuff, um, you would soon see you have a lot of things. Yeah. And um, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a, it'd be a period, although a long period, probably six or seven years, where we're living very simply and uh, without a lot of stuff. And so it's kind of a, it's an interesting burning um, 
you know, for, for us. Mm-hmm. And of course, dogs, dogs don't care. I mean, you know, she can, she's happy with a stick. She's happy with a ball. And as long as she has um, enough food, water, and, and everywhere she goes, she gets more than enough love. Um, you know, like, like Mira is, is very happy uh, with this. So, yeah, I think, so, yeah, it's, I think Indigo would be happy with a with a chucket ball and her Kong frisbee, and she would want nothing else in life, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, totally. Yeah, let's talk right. about let's talk about dog specific gear, though. So, what what kind of stuff do you have to carry for her? I mean, how much food do you carry at any one time? Uh, what's the water situation? Uh, things like that. Yeah, um, water situation is probably one of the bigger weights uh, sometimes. Uh, I'm probably adding anywhere from 30% to maybe even 50% sometimes of the water I'd carry for myself okay. uh, for Mira. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, just being a smaller creature, uh, you know, just like with a, you know, um, you know say a, a young person, maybe um, the extremes are, can be harder for them to manage. Um, so, you know, dehydration or, or, or lack of food. So I make sure that I, that I have enough water for it. Um, food wise is actually easier in Mexico than it is in Canada and U.S. Oh, really? Okay. Um, for, yeah, yeah, simply because, I mean, lots of people have pets, but so she's, she basically on a, on a kibble diet. Um, although if, you know, if, if the opportunity arises to have, uh, meat and, um, sure, she's going to, she's going to have some of that. Um, but the, so typically the smallest bag that's sealed available in most places is about two kilograms. Um, so, you know, about four or five pounds. Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's a fair amount of weight, you know, um, a couple of liters of water, two liters of water would be, would be the, the same uh, mass. But, but then what happens is that if we're going from, say, um, uh, a supply area and then we've used, it's in a day or two, we've used some of the food and then, um, we're at a supply location, you know, town somewhere, and it's going to be much longer than I have to buy a complete bag. So I could have, you know, um, you know, three kilograms, or, or maybe I've just opened the bag and now I need right. to, you know, get a, another bag, or they or they only have uh, four kg bags. Um, so it can be. So sometimes I'm unlucky and I have to carry a lot more food. Whereas in, in Mexico, and my my presumption is that in, in other parts of Latin America and the world, um, a, a small shop, these small tiendas in, in Mexico will uh, buy a large bag, um, say a, a 20 kilogram bag, and then they'll open it up and you can scoop it and buy it by weight. Oh, that's The cost cool. is a little bit higher, but not much. Yeah, and then I can just buy what I need. And I think um, I saw that. You know, so it- for a, a, it was either in one of your videos or one of Doozer's videos. I, I think I saw that when you went into a shop, you could just like scoop out the dog food. And I was like, man, you know, we've, we've got it hard here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It, it's a funny thing because, uh, I mean, we buy almonds and, you know, chocolate pieces and, and flour in bulk. Yeah. Um, and I would, I would, almost bet money that there are probably more people with dogs than there are people that are baking on a regular basis that would want to buy a few items of a thing. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it's just, it, yeah, it's just these, these yeah. cultural habits we get imagine into. If, I, imagine maybe if Bob Barn had dog food, right? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they might, they might, but they're, but, um, yeah, this is just like any convenience. Yeah, yeah would, that's uh, cool. That's smart. Would, would have these set up. So, so, so that makes it easy. And then, um, yeah, just, you know, foldable, uh, water dish and food bowl. And then, um, I often carry what's called a gulpy, which is like a little, um, there's lots of different versions of these, but it's, um, this is one that, that I found works really well is, is um, essentially a, a, a little drink tray or cup that spreads onto uh, a water bottle. And the, the, the threads are pretty common, or close oh, enough okay. anyway, between, you know, any of the soda pop bottles, you know, Pepsi Coke. Um, and so I can have a bottle of that with water, and then I can just attach this item, uh, thread it on, hook it out, and then it squeezes the water directly into this cup. And so she can just drink out of that without me having to set down a bowl and, and, and fill it. So uh, for a quick little, um, you know, just a little sip of water, I can just flip this out and, and keep her hydrated. So, um, yeah, and then, of course, she's got, uh, I carry uh, Rec Specs, which are uh, dog-specific goggles. I was going to ask I those, wear yeah. sunglasses. Yeah, so, um, you know, a lot of old dogs end up with, with eye issues, you know, it develops into cataracts um, from sun and wind, um, you know, if they're on snow or sand or, you know, head out the window. And her bit is basically her head is out the window all day long. And um, and so, yeah, this offers some protection for her. And, um, yeah, so, you know, they, I find that I, uh, uh, they look a bit silly to me standing still, but in motion, uh, you're like, okay, yeah. it makes sense. And uh, it takes a little bit of training for the dog. Not every dog's going to like wearing them. And, and in uh, it's hot and humid, um, if we're not moving around, she doesn't enjoy wearing them. I just take them off. Um, but the, the company, you know, recommendations for size, you can measure the dog and figure out the uh-huh. size you need. And then some great videos about training uh, with the dog. And so it's just you know, a matter of them getting uh, adapted to having that on their face and having the right fit. And then... Uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, great protection um, for them. And then uh, depending on where I am, sometimes I'll have a, a vest uh, for her just to add some warmth uh, or protection from the rain. Um, from time to time, you know, like, you know, here in, in Canada, um, sometimes I need to do that. Uh, but, she, you know, her coat allows you to be pretty adaptable well you know for um yeah you know for either heat or or, uh, or uh yeah 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 and it's you not know, in the, the the dirt just falls off too after a while sometimes in the tent uh, most of the time in the tent. but um <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of that's kind of it and then um you know a couple other things a little comb to uh to uh take care of her coat uh nail clippers although she wears them down uh, the main nails to get worn down to the point uh, so I don't have to clip them. And um, uh, it's best if when a dog is standing on a, say, a hard surface, a floor, a wood floor, a tile floor, that their nails aren't touching. That's the appropriate length. Yeah, I've heard that. And, uh, click, uh, click, and, click, and when click, they walk click, across the floor, yeah. and go click, 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 right? Yeah, you might hear a little click, but you when you hear a dog walking with long nails, you'll know it. Um, and so I have to clip in case one of them gets a little uh, broken or, or, or uh, torn. And then the dew claw just a little bit further up um, on our on our front paws or core paws. Uh, I just give that a little trim from time to time. And then, uh, yeah, uh, tweezers. And I also have some booties for her. And they're made by a company called uh, 
um, dogmoodies.com. Um, there's lots of versions out there that are quite elaborate with different soles and, and, and whatnot. But these ones are, are just simple, uh, little tiny bag of Cordura, and they make them for sled dogs. And it's enough, they're light enough, and they're cheap enough that if I lose one, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I don't feel too bad about it. And I could always get some made along the way because it's a simple design. Um, but they've, they've really dialed in the sizes, which is good, and the closure. Um, so they, they typically stay on, but if it's, there's a lot of cactus about, um, or if roads have been salted, uh, or if the pavement was hot, uh, very hot, um, and, and hot, would you put your hand on it and leave it there comfortably? If, if you can't, then that's too hot. Um, and so then for, for injured, if she had uh, injured her paw, um, then I could apply some first aid to it or just to keep it clean uh, or, or somewhat protected, I can put these things on. Uh, and then, of course, some medications, like I mentioned before, just for um, um, you know, some stuff that the, the vet has recommended for uh, flea and tick and, and, uh, and parasites. And uh, that, that really covers it. So it's not a lot of yeah, extra stuff. And then any first aid stuff, I, I have some vet wrap that I could use for myself or for her. And that sort of, it, it's a, it's a, a tape-like wrap that adheres to itself. Yeah, it's really good. specific vet wrap, actually. Yeah, and it actually has a bitter flavor to it. Um, uh, so they're not going to lick or chew on it. I didn't um, know so that. you see them, you know, in a, yeah, I found out because I, I used it on my finger and I, I for some reason, I had it had gotten I got it into my mouth and tasted it. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah, you can get it at, at uh, a lot of pet supply places. Yeah, I I, I feel like uh, probably don't, don't the vet, or whatever. the vet wrap you buy on Amazon, super cheap, probably doesn't have that bitter flavor because definitely our dog just ripped it off her foot when uh <laughs> when after I wrapped her up, she went outside and just pulled it off. But um, maybe it when you yeah, buy I have some of the 3M product, it. but yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. My alarm coming on me. No, no worries. Um, do you need to go or you have a yeah, few more minutes yeah. still? I got, a, I got a few more minutes. Okay, yeah. cool. I wanted to ask you about wildlife. Um, how do you deal with that when she's running loose? Like, what are you watching for? What are what are your concerns and uh, whatnot? Yeah, it can definitely be a concern. And in, in places like Canada, uh, you know, with... Uh, uh, you know, we're riding through bear habitat mm-hmm. um, or U.S., you know, that, that can be a, a big concern. And, and the dogs can, as they return back to their owner, um, have the bear trailing behind and, and so, um, you know, escalates it. Um, yeah, so a couple of things. One is uh, I do I, I do uh, try to be aware of that. And that's why uh, people have commented on it, why she's on a leash so much. But that's one of the reasons why. Okay. Uh, Mira is, is not a dog with a huge... Uh, prey instinct, prey drive. So she'll she'll come when called, even if she does chase for a moment. Uh, you know, she wants to, to, to her and livestock. So that that uh, instinctive behavior or that bred in behavior um, is is definitely uh, strong in her. But she will come as whistle and she'll return back, which, okay. is, which is important to have that good recall. Um, but yeah. Uh, um, we, so wildlife can be an injury to, to her, so uh, bears or, or snakes, and she's not one that, that, um, that is chasing rodents a bunch. So that's, that's super, super useful. But I try to be aware of the area that I'm in, and if, I, if I'm uncertain that what I might encounter, you know, on a single-track trail or, um, you know, bear habitat or, um, 
you know, coyotes, for example, might have her on leash, although she doesn't seem that interested in coyotes for the most part, mm-hmm. um, which is which is good. There's, there's lots in, in uh, Western Canada, U.S. and Mexico. They have a pretty wide range. And, um, and she's not a, a, a dog that digs a lot, so uh, snakes, but if we're in an area that does have, uh, say, rattlesnakes or other poisonous snakes, I'll, I'll, I'll keep her close to me with the leash, really. And then, um, uh, but it's just as much of a hazard and probably more common is, is livestock. And, and there's sort of two issues there. One is it's her getting injured if, if uh, you know, a, a horse or some cattle, um, you know, gave her a kick. Right. Um, the goggles, the goggles again offer some protection. Um, but I also wouldn't want the the animal to get spooked and then injure itself. Um, you know, because the livestock is obviously someone's livelihood. Um, often they're yeah, not that's pets, true. and um, so it's, you know I don't want to damage someone else's property. And and and, and I would feel bad, obviously, if if uh, another creature is, is injured because of, of of our activity. You know, it's um. You know, this is just a pleasure thing we're doing. Um, so, so yeah. Um, but she's it's just training and, and her behavior that allows me to do go through a lot of those areas. You know, if I had a dog that was you know had a strong prey drive or um, you know wanted to chase down uh, deer, you know every deer, every cow that it saw, um, then you know a leash is more appropriate or um, or a corrective collar. You know, one of those radio callers that can provide a yeah. an audible tone or a bit of a, a bit of a shock. And these these callers aren't torturous. They're used uh, just you know as a you know as a little like you would pop a leash, just give it a little tug, uh, that kind of thing. Um, and so um, yeah, they're just a training tool. So some people might use those. Um, you know, to, to keep the dog close, but yeah, keeping it under control. That's the, that's the, that's the main thing. Um, yeah all good advice thanks for that um what are uh, i guess just a couple last questions what are i maybe you've, you kind of touched on this but some of the biggest challenges of dog packing and uh what are the greatest aspects of traveling with man's best friend other than the fact that you have your best friend with you <laughs> yeah yeah um I mean, it's physically harder. So, I, so you know, like road touring is a different deal because, you know, roads are typically smooth or smoother yeah. than the train that I'm riding on most of the time. And they're typically not as steep. You know, people, the engineers have designed roads that are a little less steep for, for you know, engines and, and uh, brake systems. And so you can carry more weight. So the weight that I carry is uh, physically harder. Um, you know, with Mira and her food, it's mm-hmm. easy, another 50 pounds. If someone just needs you a 50-pound weight or, or um, you know, 20-some-odd 20, 20 liters of water, um, you wouldn't be very happy to carry that. Um, so that's the, that's, the, that's the tough thing. You know, it, it takes some time to get used to it, um, the distances we're riding and the terrain we're riding on. Um, yeah, that's, that's probably the, the hardest thing that's of it. Um, but, but one of the cool things is that um, you know, because it's not, it's still not that common. Although I, I get photos from people all over the world that are are um, you know going dog packing or long dog packing or like a conversation like this, for example. And um, so you know, I'll, I'll, I'll it's, it breaks the ice. 
and mm-hmm. people will see it uh, wide by, and they'll, 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 if they do recognize what it is, they smile. And just being adjacent to that smile or right near that smile is a really wonderful way to go through the world, honestly. I mean, the world is no longer scary if it ever was um, because everyone's smiling at us riding on our bikes. And that's, that's a really profound um, thing to experience. You know, people's eyes brighten up and they're curious and they ask questions and, and, um, and, you know, I come out of a, a out of a shop, and uh, you know, I've had large numbers of people taking selfies. You know, sit down at a restaurant, <laughs> and, and she's outside, and, and uh, same thing. You know, and that's um, yeah, that's a really wonderful thing. And yeah, of course, I have I get to have my dog with me. Um, and the longer this goes on, because when I'm with her, it's you know, twenty four seven, pretty much. Um, yeah, it, it feels like I'm reliant upon her when I do. She doesn't get separation anxiety, but I'm not typically a really anxious person, but but I, I definitely feel the separation. Um, you know, initially when I when I'm and I've been away now for for several weeks, so um you know, when I first leave her of course and um yeah, sort of at this time when my my uh, time away is, is coming to an end. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to her. But but yeah, I mean it it it, it um is definitely a life changer. Uh, experiencing all that because it, the news is the news sells fear and and uh, and uses uh, violent acts to do that. Uh, you know, it, you look turn on the news and it's, it's war and disease twenty four seven, and uh, that's not my world. You yeah. know, yeah, uh, my world is is, uh, is one where people smile at, at us as we're riding along and um yeah it's a, it's a world that i'm happy to live in <laughs> Well, I, I, got, I got to say, John, um, for most of this interview, I've sat here with a smile on my face listening to it just uh, just because, you know, <laughs> I, I am passionate about my dog as well. And I can see you are. And uh, I wish I could just leave it right there. Yeah. But I do have one more question I forgot to ask. And that was like, how how far do you ride on an average day and how much of uh, how much running time does she do versus riding time? Yeah, these are these are all going to be estimates, and it, and it really varies on terrain. True. Yeah. Um, so our, our riding distance, um, typically in time wise, we're going anywhere from sort of five to ten hours in a in a day. Um, you know, it depends on the season mm-hmm. um, and temperatures and that kind of thing. And then distances would be anywhere from say, you know, even thirty or forty kilometers um, to as much as you know, 230, 250 kilometers in a day. But on, on average, I would say it's about 80 kilometers. 80 to 100 is probably, you know, commonly what I'll see the odometer on Mm -hmm. a given day. And, um, you know, um, and then some elevation days, you know, it's, it's not uncommon, especially in the region we're in now to see, you know, a couple thousand meters of, of elevation gained in a day. Um, and then, um, uh, for her, you know, if it's, if she has to be in and out of the basket, so on the, sort of the average days, I would say she's probably doing half a marathon a day. Um, 
maybe a full marathon. And it's a lot of it's not full tilt running. It's her walking beside me as I as, as you I, climb a mountain. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the speeds are lowest. You know, it's like less yeah. than ten kilometers an hour. But then um, she easily does thirty kilometers an hour. Um, you know, riding through some single track or along a dirt road um, throughout the day, and then you know all the little sides. You know, we all see our dogs as they're going left and right and back and forth, and and um, so so lots of that goes on throughout the day mm-hmm. too so um yeah i would you know probably half a marathon is so you know um uh you know 20 some odd kilometers 12 miles that that sort of thing on, on a given day um but at the same time if there are, have been times you know even recently in mexico we would watch a lot of elevation with the terrain and it got much much hotter you know it was in the high 30s um uh, low 40s, mm-hmm. so I guess we're getting around 100 Fahrenheit. Wow, uh, yeah, it's getting warm. Uh, I'm guessing there's so, so it's hot. Um, and so I just kept her in the basket more often, which it makes it very hard on me. Um, you know, sort of that, that low rolling terrain that I find the hardest because she's not out of the basket, but yet um, it's not, it's also not flat, not, you know, it's yeah. not horizontal. So um, yeah, it's a, a lot of effort. And, and I'll keep her in the basket sometimes up to as much as 8% of a grade um, if I have to. But, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's sort of um, what, what, what our time is like. And, and so, yeah, we can kind of loosely plan how long it's going to take us to get to a place. But, um, you know, sometimes if I'm meeting someone that's like, yeah, within a few days, <laughs> I can kind of, I can kind of um, do it, and then I just uh, take a look at her and 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 see, like we all do, is you know the energy levels that my dog put out and and how um, you know how she's doing. If her energy levels are are low throughout the day, then I'll try and get her in the basket mm-hmm. um, more, and maybe give her a bit more food. But inevitably, at the end of the day, she's ready to chase. Uh, a ball or a stick and, uh, or go for a swim. Um, she'll always have that energy. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, she'll, she, when she's ready, she'll, uh, I'll leave the tent door open and she'll just go in there and, and go to sleep. Um, so yeah. All right. Final question, uh, because somebody actually told me it and then I, I forget where that comment was posted, but what is the brand of the basket you use? Cause I, they told me you had to order a minimum of three and they told me where to find it. And then I forgot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, those are true. Um, it's a warehouse supply company called Uline, uh, U-L-I-N-E. I believe it's the last name of the, of the CEO. Um, Anyway, it's uline.com. So they're available in Canada, U.S., and Mexico. And, yeah, three is the minimum for that size, or for any of those sizes, I guess. Uh, so you can use them for storage or sell them to a different dog packer or whatever it is. And uh, um, and, and I just found that it was the um, uh, the right size, the low, really low size. I think it's like six or eight inches maybe. Um and then the the you know the other dimensions were, were just about right, and uh, and they're super robust. Um, but yeah, I mean, depending on your dog, even a milk crate might do the job. And so you can buy one for twelve dollars, or yeah, or um, you know, uh, you might able, might already have 
have one, but yeah, these, these have been great. Um, yeah, they've been, been terrific. So awesome. And um, uh, where can people, where, where can people find you if they want to follow along on your adventures? Yeah. If they're not already following, they they're can not already, find yeah. us on, uh, yeah, that's right. On Instagram, there's, uh, two accounts we have there. One is, uh, Mira La Terra and, and Terra is dog in Spanish, female dog. So P E R R A. And there's underscores between, uh, those three words or Omni Tierra. So all world, all, all terrain, uh, is the other, uh, Instagram account. Although I use that one much, much less. And, uh, we're Omni Tierra.com is a website. So you can find links to all that stuff. Uh, or Omni Tierra on YouTube, and okay. uh, there's not currently a, a lot of videos up there, but there'll be there'll be more coming. Uh, I think <laughs> it's um, it's uh, it's not a, um, a an easy process. I, mean, I suppose it's simple enough, but it's uh, it's a lot of work to uh, to uh, face a camera and, and film uh, videos, as you know, in a creative. You know, like doing podcasts, it's a, oh, yeah. there's a, there's creative energy that goes into these things, and and um, you know, trying to find an intrinsic value in these is is important because uh, you know I'm not someone that just says wants to be uh, hey look at me kind of thing. I you know want to mm-hmm. uh, share some information, and that's and that's been the great thing. So if people decide to uh, follow us, they find us on on your podcast. Um, yeah, reach out, say hello. That's what's probably the only reason we really do it. Um, and, and that um, response from the community at large has been great. It's been um, almost entirely positive, um, which is a, a, another thing that's great in our little world that we've created here. So, yeah. It's, it's awesome. I can imagine there's probably a few people out there who'd be like, oh, it's torturing a dog to do that. But I think the vast majority will be like, wow, your dog's having an amazing life. You're having an amazing life. So keep it up. Yeah. Fortunately, none of those people have bothered to comment. That's good. Um, so, uh, it, 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 yeah. So, yeah. It's always been uh, the great comments, or or lots of questions, and I'm uh, happy to answer. Relation. Just look in the description of the videos. There's often mm-hmm. a lot of information in in, in those. Um, but then I can just send you the link to the video too. <laughs> yeah, the question is answered there. Fair so, enough. There. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I'm happy to have. Them. All right. Well, I'm going to thank you for your time. I'm going to end this recording and uh, we can talk for another couple of minutes and then we can uh, carry on with our days. I know yours has just started. So, uh, John, thank you so much for for being on this. And I know it's taken us some time to get around to it. Uh, You know, when you're touring, obviously, uh, there's different priorities and that is quite cool and quite a-okay with me. So uh, really, bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing, taking your time and uh, sharing all your story or a part of your story. Yeah, I really appreciate it. your interest in, in that for your audience. It's, uh, yeah, um, we're happy to share it. Awesome. All right. Thank you. And, uh, keep on pedaling. Bye-bye. Thanks. There you have it. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. I know the, the audio might not have been the absolute best, but you know, that is the way it is. People, uh, he's really far North in uh, Canada. And as it is, he, you know, he didn't want to sit in a room for, an hour and a half and I don't blame him. So he was outside and there was a little bit of sounds. There were some sounds coming from my end as well. My neighbors came and filled up their, I don't know why they used our, our taps on our wall to fill up their water buckets, but 
kind of shocked me a bit. But anyways, uh, that is life. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you do have questions, reach out to John. He's a really, really kind guy. He's passionate about traveling with dogs. And if you have questions and things that you're not sure about, definitely call him, ask him. And uh, yeah, other than that, it's time for the outro music. And say goodbye until next time. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me to keep going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have comments or questions, you can email me at chris at biketoadventures.com or go to the website biketoadventures.com and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, blog posts, videos, and the Touring Tips page. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you're enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bike tour adventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, helping me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and continue to produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.